Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 3, Episode 28 for January 28th, 2024. Today we're going to be talking about measly job prospects. Mona Lisa needs to eat. People in need spent money on needed things. A new Myanmar snake, a new type of magnetism, winging it after a delay. A better way to vaccine fakery and plagiarism, but we like our name and chip fund grants. I'm Marwat. That's hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for our sentient AI who I was recently asked if I am uh, housing the large language model locally. Uh, well, that sentient AI is from the future. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. So we got those 10 articles and the AI and I are going to be talking about, well, the news, a little bit of snark and a whole lot of, I don't know, anecdote and value add. And we're going to point you in a bunch of directions, but all that takes place here in hometown daily. All right, all right. This 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 background music is just killing me. I mean, it's cool and all, but it was a little too wild. Boisterous. Boisterous, yeah. You can barely hear it over on the stream, but oh, we hear it just fine. So uh, we have all 10 of our articles. Let's just get straight on into it. Why? Why delay with just a bunch of bunch of noise, right? I'm just sitting there blabbing, you know, for five seconds. Now eight. By the time I'm done saying 10, it's going to be 12. First articles over in hometown daily CDC warns healthcare workers to be on alert for measles. There's one. There's one. Oh no, that's not good. <laughs> now the full title of this is CDC warns healthcare workers to be on alert for measles amid rising number of cases. This also speaks to the fact that vaccines, right? There's vaccines for measles. Yeah, there are. Um, it's called MMR because it's combined with mumps and rubella. Right. And, and it's a two dose uh, vaccine. And if it was an older version, was there some problem with it? Um, there wasn't a problem, but it wasn't a two-dose vaccine. So right. people aren't necessarily as protected if they were born before, I think, 1989. Gotcha. Um, but they still could have developed full antibodies, so they can always check in with their provider. So... I haven't looked at this article. Do you know if uh, adults can go and get an MMR? In concept, yes. Um, in fact, I was looking at something else. They can actually test you to see if you're if you're not sure. They can test you to see if you developed, I think it's called titers, but basically the response um, to the vaccine. If you have, you don't need anything else. If not, you should be able to get the full two-dose two uh, right? series. So the more modern version of the vaccine, right? Is this the same vaccine that everybody was having a 
problem with regarding like um, autism and stuff like that? Was that the same MMR? It may have been, but for some reason I thought it was polio, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, so just so you know, any relation to any argument about autism and vaccines has been debunked time and time and time again. So I, the only reason why I brought it up is because I wanted to. Yeah, actually, it is that MMR vaccine. It does not cause uh, autism. Okay. And um, so there's been this discussion amongst people who are anti-vaccine that, you know, oh, it's going to cause autism. No, no, no. It has been demonstrably proven wrong. Um, and in fact, the whole argument stems from a biased uh, article that's been debunked uh, again and again and again. So will there be the anomalous out of hundreds of millions of doses? Yes, there will be because nothing is perfect. Does anybody want to be the victim fall prey to that anomaly? No. Am I suggesting that everybody just go willy nilly into the doctor's office and get vaccinated? No, talk to your doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not your doctor. Go talk to your doctor. But if you are susceptible to getting measles, you definitely don't want it as an adult. You don't want it as a child. You don't want it if you're immunocompromised. And if you can get the vaccine to mitigate the possibility of getting this, why not get it? You've made it this far. Why be a dumbass? Anyway. The article is over at abcnews.go.com. Mary Kakaros and uh, Yuri Benajoud is the author. And yeah, so uh, the MMR, uh, measles, mumps, and rubella virus vaccine um, is now a two-shot. Um, I guess they just like stick it in you simultaneously and you inflate a little bit and then as you absorb it. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that's how it goes. Oh, that's not how it might oh, okay. be easier. <laughs> Sometimes I get my facts wrong, but between December 1st and 2023, uh, sorry, December 1st, 2023 and January 23rd, 2024. Why does this? Basically the last month. <laughs> I had to cough last month. There was a, there's been 23 confirmed cases of measles including seven cases from international travels and two outbreaks with five or more infections each, according to an email sent by the CDC. Cases have been reported in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Washington, D.C. area so far, but as people travel, that's how it spreads pretty much always. It's travelers, and they don't know that they're infected until they either no longer show as asymptomatic or they just start you know they actually aren't asymptomatic they can't mask it anymore it gets exposed but by that time you've got this all over you which is basically the little red splotches all over your body and then you're kind of screwed for a while um, so if healthcare workers suspect a patient has measles, the CDC says the patient should be isolated immediately for at least four days from when the symptoms appear and local and state health departments should be notified. 
The patient should be tested. Post-exposure prophylaxis should be provided to uh, close contacts and all contacts who are not up to date on their measles vaccination should be vaccinated. Dun, dun, dun. Pretty damn easy. Look at what science can do. It can save your life even when you're, yeah, you know what? Everybody poo-poos attorneys. Everybody poo-poos law enforcement. Everybody poo-poos doctors until they need them. And then they're like, oh, where was this? <laughs> exactly. It's interesting, though, with measles, because at least in the U.S., it's been. Yeah, it was basically eliminated, as it mentions here, yeah. and it's kind of coming back. But I think it's because of travel and, and unvaccinated uh, people. Yeah, we blame you. Unvaccinated and travelers that are unvaccinated bringing this inbound. Um, it, two doses are 97% effective. One dose, the older version of it, was 93% effective, effective at preventing infection. And in 2000, I remember this, measles was declared eliminated from the U.S. Why? Vaccinations. In California, an unidentified person with measles who visited Disneyland caused an outbreak infecting 20, 125 people before, between uh, December 2014 and February 2015. That's a long visit to Disneyland. Now I know that was the time frame <laughs> for the outbreak. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And you can actually I can look at the genetics of it and go, yep, it's the same one. Yep, it's the same one. Pretty nasty. You don't want to be patient zero. And you <laughs> don't want to be the person that causes the outbreak, like the first person to pass yeah. it patient zero and you don't want to be the person where the doctor walks in and goes hmm interesting i haven't seen this in a long long time let's keep going i learned about this in medical school <laughs> as a case study or whatever and points and puts on gloves in a respirator <laughs> nothing to worry about nothing to worry about um doc why are you an entire bunny suit don't worry. Why are you putting me in a contamination chamber or whatever they're called? Nothing to worry about. You're fine. You're fine. This is okay. The next article is over in hometown daily. Mona Lisa splattered in soup at the Louvre Museum in Paris. No, I'm sorry. I'm just being a goober. Anyway, by uh, food protesters. And I heard that they were yelling, Mona Lisa looks too thin and threw soup on them. Just kidding. They didn't. <laughs> uh, just so you know, Mona Lisa is behind glass. You can't get even. You're not going to do anything um, short of. Well, I don't even think driving a truck over it's going to cause any damage because it's in bulletproof glass. Two food protesters. Let's not give any ideas. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to get into the Louvre with a truck. Um. Uh, there were two food protesters that hurled soup at the world famous Mona Lisa uh, in the Paris Louvre Muse Museum. The priceless artwork is protected behind a glass panel. It's a little more robust than that. Um, museum authorities have reported no damage to date. It's surprisingly small. I uh, thought it was bigger. By the way, mm. I was thinking the Mona Lisa must be the most famous painting in the world, but I wasn't sure, so I just looked up a ranking, and it is. Well, look at you. So what's number two? Um, ah, I'll put you on the spot. Sorry, give me just a moment here. Rebecca Roman uh, 
girl with a pearl earring. Really? Oh, the book? Weird. Um, sorry. Uh, so the articles over at Business Insider and uh, Rebecca Roman is the author. And oh, look at these two. It looks like mom and daughter. That might be kind of rude, <laughs> but it looks like mom and daughter. It actually does That's look mom like mom and daughter. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a bummer, bummer that there are people that are hungry and I actually uh, support food donations and other mechanisms to provide for food. I mean, we do have billionaires out there that could be doing more, um, but you know, there's a lot of people that are will charge in to defend them. You can't tell them what to do with their money. No, but society can say, I don't think billionaires need to exist, particularly multi-billionaires. Well, they earned it. Nah, well, you know, the plurality of people that made their enterprise a possibility. Yeah. And, and really, never. Anyway, I don't want to get into it. The incident follows protests by French farmers demanding better pay and living conditions. Yeah, well, the era of cheap food is over. So farmers, I don't know where the money's going, but I guess it's not to you. Huh? I don't know. Well, and I guess it depends on the type of farming and then maybe the um, country. Well, we know which country they're in here, but um, yeah. different countries provide subsidies sometimes to farmers yeah oh but that's okay but you can give it to other people that are in need got it so the priceless artwork is protected videos on social media show the activists wearing t-shirts with the words food counterattack" uh written on them in french so if it was food they hurled soup and they're protesting the food right what's the most important thing they shouted art or right to a healthy and sustainable food so they threw food on the, the art which, which is this is the kind of protesting i don't really understand sure it's symbolic of the cause but right, 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 right. aren't they wasting the very food that they're concerned about hypocritical you say maybe it was bad food our farming system is sick our farmers are dying at work yeah, society should really, you know, say something about it. But I guess protesting art is going to change that. But it's about getting attention, you know, instead of a, a sound moral argument that can be heard from all sides as the righteous cause to fix. They do this. Some will go here's some money. Is it going to change anything? Absolutely not. Why? Because you have a massive economic system in play here. It's not going to move the needle at, at all. The 16th century Italian Renaissance painting, one of the world's most recognizable artworks. And according to the sentient AI who did a search real quick, I'm not sure where the result was, but they... Uh, oh, I'll give the source. It was on timeout.com. Okay. Um, the One of the world's most recognizable works holds the Guinness World Record for the highest known painting insurance valuation in history at $100 million in 1962, equivalent to $1 billion in 2023. Yeah, it's been the target of protest before. I mean, we've talked about this from time to time. Somebody threw acid at it, and now it's behind bulletproof glass. This is pretty interesting that people are so 
set against this work of art. Um, and it's this tiny little postage stamp of a thing. I mean, it's not that small, but it's also not a huge, whenever you hear about the Mona Lisa, you think that it's this massive thing, but it's actually kind of just this little button. Right, you're picturing picture. like this whole wall covered by a masterpiece or something. Yeah, like 10 feet by 10 feet or something like that, which you do see in some of these museums, but this is not one of them. It's surprising. And it's kind of meh. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it, but I'm not an artist or an art historian. I know how it was made. Like the, the people talk about the technique and stuff like that. And I mean, it's persisted, but it's persisted because of, well, technology protecting it from deterioration. So I'm more in awe of the technology and our evolution as a society to rise above letting this piece of art disintegrate um, and, and dedicating thousands of or hundreds of millions of dollars probably in the protection and maintenance and etc over its lifetime. And insurance. It says yeah. it's uh, oh. valued at a hundred, about a billion dollars in 2023. Yeah. I mean, and to that, I mean, you're paying a little bit of money to it, but people are hell bent on destroying it for whatever reason. Oh, let's get some clout. If something happens to it, whoever does damage it is going to be going to jail for life. <laughs> They'll never pay it back. Exactly. No, I know. I think it's an attention grab. Yeah, of course. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Austin experimented with giving a thousand people a month, thousand dollars a month. They spent the no strings attached cash mostly on housing. A study found. And look at that. It's only 621 Eastern time and we've already hit no shit news. There was, I read somewhere, some social media site, I can't remember exactly where it was. It might've been the website formerly known as Twitter, actually when it was Twitter, um, where somebody was like, if you give a thousand dollars to a poor person, they just spend it. But if you give a thousand dollars to a rich person, they invest it and turn it into a hundred thousand dollars in no time. And I'm sitting there going, are you really that sociopathic that you don't understand that people in need spend the money that they're given or earn so that they can continue to live? You dumbass on basic needs, right? Yes. It's not yeah. frivolous items. It might be like yeah. food or an apartment. And it stimulates the economy. It isn't there so that you can earn 12% interest on your investment just so that you can stow it away in your, uh, in your bed or your pool, whatever Scrooge McDuck really stores all of his wealth in or their wealth or its wealth. I the guaranteed basic income program in Austin gave a thousand people um, uh, uh, th uh, sorry, a thousand gave people a thousand dollars a month for a year. Most of the participants spent the no strings attached uh, cash on housing. A study of the program found participants who said that they could afford uh, a balanced meal also increased by 17%. So this actually like pulled people out of food uh, instability. One of Texas's uh, largest cities reduced rates of housing insecurity and food insecurity, but some Texas lawmakers, i.e. the sociopaths, are not happy. Austin was one of the first cities in Texas to launch a taxpayer-funded basic income program 
When the Austin Guaranteed Income pilot kicked off in May 2022 and the program served 135 low-income families, you know, those people. Kenneth Nehmeyer put the article together over at Business Insider. I hope people understand that I'm kind of like a cold bear here when I say shit like that. <laughs> yeah, you're just trying to get a reaction. You're not actually uh, thinking in that way. Funding 85 families came from the city of Austin with philanthropic do philanthropic donations. Funded the other 50. Wow. That's amazing. How much of a tax write-off? Anyway, like a lot of people sit there and say, well, they're doing good. All right. That's great. Um, the program was billed as a means to boost people out of poverty and help them afford housing. That is wonderful. Uh, that's what I really want you know, money to go to. We are a society. Um, I would really like people to go back into education and get tooled up for a job that's meaningful to them and to the industries, whatever it might be, give them the skills they need to traverse life. <laughs> we know that if we trust people to make the right decisions for themselves and their families, it leads to better outcomes. The city says on its website, it leads to better jobs, increased savings, food security, housing security, pretty much what I just got done saying. And while the program ended in August 2023, a new study from the Urban Institute, a Washington, D.C. based think tank, found that the city's program did, in fact, help its participants pay for housing and food. My God, it's actual goals. Yeah. So uh, they talk a little bit about the people who were involved in this. Let me throw this into the VOD real quick so that y'all can get it when you hang out and watch the VOD. Um, Harris County, which includes Houston earlier this month, launched a guaranteed basic income program that gives low income residents up to $500 a month, which in today's day and age is helpful, um, but it's really a drop in the bucket um, for this economy. And I'll put it in perspective, you know, you have to be, well, it's starting to even out. Even the stores, raw materials are so expensive that you're going to end up paying the same amount as if you were to go, it would be healthier probably, but it would be the same amount as if you went to fast food because the, the cost of goods in the store are starting to equate fast food. And then you have to spend the time and the energy opportunity cost um, and, and fuel for gas oven or electricity or whatever, cooking the food and then you have to wash the dishes and your water bill and it goes up and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, yeah, it used to be cheaper to buy all the ingredients and make it yourself. I don't know that it is anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, it gets pretty pricey out there nowadays. So um, they talk about other efforts like in Denver, a basic income program gives a thousand dollars up to a thousand dollars a month uh, was recently extended after finding it also increased housing security among its participants. And that's the biggest problem right there. Without a house, you can't really get a job. You have no stability or security. It's really you can't detrimental. Have any belongings. Yeah. Right. Yep. You have no stability without housing. And that's why I want programs to spin up within uh, city owned land. Um, things like micro farms and um, tiny homes, just little plots of land with a little house sitting on it. And, and 
you can make it work and rotate people out, get them educated, get them a job, have them save up, have them get out and, and basically boost all of society. Because if you want to stop social programs from quote unquote, draining the uh, pool of monies from taxpayers, which social programs really are the biggest hit to the economy you need to give them the tools so that they can become self-sufficient and they don't lean on it. Will there always be bad actors? Absolutely. But there's means to facilitate checking that there's checks and balances. And a lot of it has to do with mental health. So anyway, the, I, as automation and AI and other tools become more and more effective and efficient, you're going to find less and less humans doing jobs. So basic income is, I'm afraid, almost the only solution and the only way to fund basic income is through taxes of systems that are automated, big business in particular, um, and taxing. Right, and the top percentage of private residents. Yeah, which... I mean, it's really weird, but there's a peak to the, and there's manipulations that the ultra rich have the ability to take advantage of, like funding their own healthcare program with tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, um, and offshoring investments and other large investments where the risk is really low, but it pulls the money out of taxation and away from any observers. Um, it's. I don't know. Yeah, to me, it just is manipulation of the system and not everybody can afford it. Absolutely. Hey, one of the things you mentioned was healthcare and the article talks about this. Like one of the biggest um, problems for people at low income is medical. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought it was interesting that they highlighted it for one of the recipients because a, a medical stay, especially one that's unexpected, can really do somebody in, even if they were on reasonably stable uh, financial footing beforehand. Yeah. I mean, even with insurance, it can cost tens of thousands of dollars. And without it, you either have to basically balk on the medical and hopefully it gets discharged because you have no means of paying it. And then the hospital absorbs it. And then they start charging everybody else $800 for a box of gloves that they open for one person. Yeah. I can't really get into the reads with this, but um, I, I certainly see basic income, guaranteed basic income, um, forming uh, a bigger and bigger movement as time goes on and more and more people end up having the need to augment their income because you, not everybody can make, you know, $150,000 a year. And that's in some cities, that's what you have to do. Okay. You move out to some other place where there isn't that opportunity of $150,000 suddenly you only need $75,000 to live yet there aren't any jobs in the places where you move to because there's lower population and we have this mindset that you have to be in a seat to make money instead of teleworking so but before all of that can take place you need to educate people so that they can actually do the jobs without having to do just pure manual labor there's a big break between the two income sets, primarily coined as blue collar and white collar workers. So anyway, 
much bigger discussion and we'll come back to that eventually. Let's keep going. The next article is over in technology today, baffling new species of snake discovered in Myanmar. Um, so let's go over to SciTech daily where this is actually, um, sourced from. Oh, I didn't do it again. I mean, I always do this. I don't throw it into the chat right away and, and it throws off the timing on the content when I put it all in. I've stopped putting timestamps in because it's always wonky. Pensoft Publishers is the source of this. It was published over at SciTechDaily.com. They typically go into a deeper dive. Um, I'm not sure what this snake is really all about because we've never really, well, we've, we haven't read this, but um, the Ayurwadi Pit Viper, a new species discovered in Myanmar by Dr. Chan Kin On, illustrates the complexities of species differentiation in pit vipers. The species, which displays traits of both red tail and mangrove pit vipers, was initially thought to be a hybrid, but was confirmed as distinct through genomic analysis. I bet you 23andMe probably did the genomic study, and now everybody knows about Ayurwadi's uh, relations. You know, I knew they had focused on certain groups in the um, data leaps, but I didn't realize pit vipers were one of them. Apparently, pit vipers get around. Well, I don't know. I, I guess I shouldn't say that. Not all of them do, right? I'm going to get in trouble. Is it slander if I say something about... I think it has to be against a, a person. Oh, really? Not a species? Hmm. Like, well, I don't know. They are um, moving for animal rights, uh, oh like God. to have citizen rights. We saw that as another article that came through hometown recently. Pete is going to be filing a lawsuit against me for slander because I say, you know, pit vipers are the pits or wasps can really go to hell because they suck. That's very subjective. And some people really love pit vipers and or wasps. I've never met a pit viper that I didn't like because I've never met a pit viper. <laughs> I was going to ask how many pit vipers have you met? Yeah, none. Um, at least not without a massive plate of glass between me and them. So the article talks about the different uh, characteristics of the species from um, each of the ones that it, they thought that it was, but apparently it's its unique own uh, species. Herpetologist Dr. Chan Kin On, previously at the Lee Kong Chan Natural History Museum in Singapore, now with the University of Kansas Biodiversity Institute and Natural History Museum in the U.S., led a study describing new species of pit viper from Myanmar that is both similar and different from its sister species. And the discovery is published in the open access journal Zookies. Huh, that's what it looks like, I guess. That's a hell of a name. Trimurosaurus ayarwadiensis. Yeah. It almost sounds like a dinosaur. Yeah, it probably is. It's like a chicken, right? Really close to dinosaur. Um, let's see. Interestingly, in central Myanmar, sandwiched between the distribution of the red-tailed pit viper and mangrove pit viper, a unique population exists that is green with varying degrees of blotchiness which appears to be a blend between the red tail pit viper and the mangrove pit viper and its own. And now it's its own distinct species. You would think that it would be, you know, 
just a blending of the two. So why is it unique? But I guess they've figured out the genetics are a unique line. Exactly. Now, I don't know about you, but if I see a pit piper, I'm not going to sit there right up next to it and look at it for a while and go, well, it's the mangrove pit viper or whatever. <laughs> Sorry, the silence is me doing a little being look a pit at viper. It. Yeah, or no, looking at the pit viper. <laughs> trying to get a good look at it without it biting me. So they, I've said what the new species is pretty much five times now, but the researchers discovered another surprise when they examined the snake's morphological features. They found that the new species was also highly variable. Certain populations are dark green with distinct blotches, easily distinguishable from its closest relative, the red-tailed pit viper, which is bright green with no blotches. However, the same populations of the new species are bright green with no blotches and look virtually identical to the red tail pit viper. So how is well, this unique? interesting? Well, it also said that it, they thought that it, it had exchanged genes with like this Northern group and then some other genes with this Southern group of the other type of viper. Pit vipers get around. You know what? They're just not loyal. You know, they're snakes. Come on. Snakes in the grass. Dirty, rotten snakes in the grass. Or trees. Or on That's a plane. A, no snakes on a plane. Hey, the next article is over in Reality Hacker. Scientists just discovered a new type of magnetism in an anatomically. Uh, anatomically? <laughs> In an atomically thin stack of semiconductors, a mechanism unseen in any natural substance causes electrons spin to align. This is pretty cool. Um, a new form of magnetism. Uh, the article is over in uh, Wired. Yeah. I guess I was thinking about the genomics from the snake and that they were right. Just... I did too, but I was puzzled by the anatomically related to bank. So, um, the original story uh, appeared in quanta magazine, which is not one of our sources, but it says all of the magnets you ever interacted with, such as the tchotchkes stuck to your refrigerator door are magnetic for the same reason. But what if there was another stranger way to make a um, material magnetic? Well, there are metamagnetic materials. In 1966, the Japanese physicist Yosuke Nagaoka uh, conceived of a type of magnetism produced by a seemingly unnatural dance of electrons within a hypothetical material. Now, a team of scientists, or physicists actually, um, has spotted a version of Nagaoka's predictions playing out within an engineered material only six atoms thick. See, now I wonder if this is actually something that is beyond the scope of that material, you know? Um, but let's see, I don't know. Now, the discovery recently published in the journal Nature marks the latest advance in the five decade hunt for Nagaoka ferromagnetism. Uh, in which a material magnetizes as the electrons within it minimize their kinetic energy in contrast to traditional magnets. Quote, that's why I'm doing this kind of research. I get to learn things that we didn't know before, see things that we haven't seen before, and I hate to break it to anybody. That's what fundamental science is to begin with. 
Um, so, right, we uh, shouldn't just be studying exactly what we know and where we know the outcome. Yeah, here's the 200th confirmation that water is wet. Um, anyway, that quote was not the quote about the water being wet, but the kind of research being done. Just a profound statement by Livio Chiochiaro. I think that's how they pronounce the name, Chiochiaro. I'm not sure. Um, so forgive me if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. Send an email to me, mayor at hometown.com phonetically, and I'll pronounce it the right way. Uh, who completed the work while a doctoral candidate at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, Zurich's Institute for Quantum Electronics. Man, you have to, the amount of work and like the, the amount of brains that is just packed into a human is sometimes pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't even understand what the the name means, uh, think about the level of intelligence required to study it or to become a doctorate in it. Just the gravitational field around a bunch of Sheldons. Um, so the study is really cool use of the moray lattices, which are relatively new, said Juan Pablo de, de Halloween. Um, a co-author of the 2020 study who completed the work at the Delft University of Technology that looks it looks at this ferromagnetism in a kind of different way. Um, so let's see if we can suss out a little bit more about this thing. Uh, when two grids with a twist make a pattern exist. Well, I'm not Imama glue uh, and his colleagues had an inkling that they could create Nagaoka magnetism by experimenting with single layer sheets of atoms that could be stacked together to form an intricate moray pattern, which is um, kind of like a grid like pattern. Um, interestingly, well, uh, God, that is so hard to explain what moray is. Um, but yeah, it's basically it, like it's reminding me of like the hollow tile. Um, it kind of looks like it where the within the spaces uh, between the the grid, that's where a tile would be. That's kind of how a moray uh, pattern is, except that a moray pattern can actually warp um, depending on the, the, the plane that it exists in. So you can have like you see it a lot on displays old school crt displays where you get a moray pattern um, because it's scanning up and down and left and right and and that grid is what's referred to as a moray so a moray pattern um, in atomically thin layered uh, materials moray patterns can radically alter how electrons and thus the materials behave for example in 2018 the physicist pablo Hirolo, sorry Harillo or Harillo Herrero um, and his colleagues demonstrated that two layer stacks of graphene gain the ability to superconduct when they offset the two layers with a twist. That's really fascinating. Um, but do they know why that actually happens? Probably not yet because we really superconductive material is and graphene and quantum, um, uh, Pretty much any of this quantum theory is just that. We're still trying to understand a lot of what it is. 
Um, Moray materials provide us a playground for basically synthesizing and studying many states of electrons, Mama Glue said. Um, it's pretty fascinating, but uh, this actually goes a lot deeper than um, than I think we have time for this article. So it says here. So people can go here and read more. Yeah, I just because it, it's not easily described. Um, they say you won't be able to affix kinetic ferromagnetics uh, to your fridge anytime soon unless you do your cooking in one of the coldest places in the universe. The researchers evaluated the moray material for ferromagnetic behavior at a frosty 100, 140 millikelvins, so almost absolute zero. Um, in collaboration with Eugene Demler and Ivan Morera Navarro, theoretical uh, physicists at the Institute for Theoretical Physics, which I guess is their perfect home. Um, he wants to explore whether kinetic mechanisms like those that play within the moray material could be used to manipulate charged particles into pairing up, potentially pointing to a way uh, for a new mechanism for superconductivity. Still, all of the superconductivity is super cold. And uh, <laughs> if superconductivity needs to be that cold, this is going to remain in hard labs and that's it. Right. How is that going to have readily available practical applications? Yeah, it won't. <laughs> okay. But that doesn't mean they can't adapt it in some way or or create something where it can be utilized. Yeah. Eventually they'll find something. Again, there's a lot more over in this article. Um, and it's in the show notes. So you'll be able to go over there and check it out. Uh, the next article is... Um, you know, out of frustration, sometimes you take action. It's over in hometown daily. A man opened a plane's emergency exit and walked onto its wing after his flight was delayed on the tarmac for four hours. His fellow passengers are now defending him. Quote, he saved our lives. Why is this? <laughs> why is all of this stuff taking place now? <laughs> I, I really wish that it wouldn't be happening now. An Aeromexico passenger opened a plane's emergency exit and walked onto the wing on Thursday. At least 77 plane passengers defended the man's actions with a handwritten signed statement. Passenger said the flight was delayed four hours, endangering their health. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you're stuck in a plane with recycled air unless they're venting it. Um, and, and all of these people just kind of mouth breathing all over the place. I want to get the hell off that plane too. Four hours sitting there picking your nose. The incident happened while the plane was parked and waiting for takeoff from Mexico International Airport in Mexico City on Thursday. So why did it take so damn long? You know, if you're I don't know. I mean, we've seen ridiculous tarmac delays, right? This is not the longest one we've seen, but right. at some point, why don't they allow the passengers to be plane and then Yeah, I mean, how do you not know that your plane is going to be stuck there for 4 hours? Bring it back to the gate. Oh, I know the logistics and it costs a lot and you'd have to redo all of that tin out there, but still. Yeah, but guess what you don't get is a hundred or however many angry passengers that may never fly your airline again yeah. <laughs> and are going to spread the word about it. Yep. Spirit. Um, so uh, Lauren Edmonds is the author over at Business Insider. Spirit Airlines. Well, eventually you'll be one. Um passengers said the flight was delayed for four hours endangering their health maybe it was the food 
<laughs> oh, I'm so gonna be in trouble. Um, let's see. They kind of reiterate the whole thing again and again in this article. In line with international security regulations, this person turned himself over to the authorities, the statement added. Dozens of the men of the man's fellow passengers have rushed to the man's defense. 77 of them signed a statement. Photos apparently showing the handwritten signatures were shared online. The delay and lack of air created conditions that endangered the health of the passengers. He saved our lives. Obviously, there were, people were feeling a little like crap. So they say the flight... Uh, was delayed after a maintenance alert went off, according to an incident report obtained by the AP, requiring the plane's captain to return to the gate. So why they didn't frickin' do it in four hours? Should have been 15 minutes. The alert goes off, you turn around. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and if it's maintenance, you know it's not going to be fewer than a couple of hours because they're going to have to go check it if yeah. it requires a repair. Yeah, but it took four hours. So this event required the plane to be changed. No, a four hour delay should have made it so that the plane had to be changed. <laughs> it's not the first time a passenger has ventured onto the plane's wing or opened an emergency exit. You might as well just start creating a checklist. It's been happening pretty frequently. Um, well, one of those that said somebody tried to open it during mid-flight to see if it worked. How about if you're going to try that, why don't you try it when it's on the ground? How about you don't try it? Unless <laughs> well, even better. Emer- it's even called better. an emergency exit. You're not the certified tester of the damn door either, so pull your head out of your backside. Anyway, let's keep going. Next article is over in Technology Today. Scientists discover new, better way to develop vaccines. So now we have new magnetism. Now we have new vaccine methodologies. A team of researchers in Germany have created an innovative system for presenting uh, epitopes of mammalian cells aimed at immunization research. Dun, dun, dun. Oxford University Press is the source of this. <clears throat> it's over at SciTechDaily.com. Did I throw? I did not. Never going to get the timestamp proper. I, I literally gave up because I just, we talk and then I post it and I just don't do it right when I start talking. Anyway, a team of researchers have created an innovative system for presenting epitopes in mammalian cells aimed at immunization. This method is anticipated to um, significantly aid scientists in their immunization efforts. The research was published in the journal Biology Methods and Protocols. So promoting blood cells to produce antibodies against a specific viral protein is an important step in developing vaccines for human use. That's one of the reasons it's one of the way that we have the ability to discover a vaccine is we, we do something, it produces antibodies. We grab the antibodies, we amplify them. We figure out how to cause those antibodies to be triggered in other humans. That's how you get a vaccine. This can be challenging for researchers because either the subjects develop antibodies depends on how the scientists design and administer antigens, which are parts of the virus they're administering to test the effectiveness of the vaccine. So did it work? Do some more manipulation, etc. One very important aspect of virus research is how to express and purify the antigen for vaccine. Animals immunized 
with prepared antigens produce specific antibodies against the antigen, but scientists have to ask, uh, isolate the antigen to ensure that they develop the vaccine to target specific disease they wish to combat. Um, so the display breakthrough in antigen display technology here, scientists develop a new method to induce target specific immune responses by fusing antigen proteins in, into a tetraspanin derived anchor membrane bound protein. The researchers created fusion proteins that are displayed predominantly on the surface of human cells. So they know exactly where it is. The exposition. Is it of the, like that they're right there instead of having to almost search for them? Correct. It, and and they're they can be seen easier right. um of additional advantage is that these antigens have uh, the same conformation and modifications as the corresponding proteins in the virus because they are made by cells similar to that in the human body which the virus infects naturally so this new display technology uh, could be a potentially could be a potentially much more reliable immunization technique in the study here the researchers were able to induce antibodies against different proteins with a focus on the receptor binding domain of covid um and um yeah it allows them to target a specific disease for immunization purposes without the need to purify the antigen so it just makes it more targeted um seems pretty neat i'd have to go and dig a little bit deeper to see to explain um easier how it is how this actually is processed because they kind of skip over uh, some of this they basically say we do this and it does this but not how they do that um so it's kind of interesting but um, i'm not exactly sure how they are getting to that point where they don't have to purify right and i mean i think the um the speeding up um, and the accuracy, which it seems like this method would would include, are both good things for for vaccine research. Yeah, and the need to not purify means that it it doesn't have that costly, time-consuming step. Right. So, might be uh, revolutionary, and I think that's what they kind of they're like a better way to develop vaccines. Okay, that works. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in. Um, the mobile channel science sleuths are using technology to find fakery and plagiarism in published research yeah this is actually kind of interesting because there's more and more talk about this science sleuths alleged uh, allegations of uh, research fakery at a leading cancer center have turned a spotlight on scientific integrity and the amateur sleuths uncovering image manipulation in published research um this is the kind of thing that leads to people being harmed because the research is conducted. Somebody has to verify it. So they run another experiment to verify, you know, it's peer reviewed. Uh, it just means people are looking at it. Um, but then when you try and duplicate it to verify, you're actually running another fundamental test following the same model. And if you can't duplicate it then it's unfounded that the it's no longer a, a viable solution it's that was just right it's supposed to be repeatable right if you actually yeah. have a discovery yep carla k johnson over at fizz.org uh put the article together um 
Let's see, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, a Harvard Medical School affiliate, announced January 22nd that it's requesting retractions and corrections of scientific papers after a British blogger flagged problems in early January. The blogger, 32-year-old Sholto David of Pontypride, Wales, I think, um, is a scientist sleuth who detects cut-and-paste image manipulation in published scientific papers. That's a very niche area. Of, That's a very niche. I was going to say of hobby, um, but they actually use that in the article. He's not the only hobbyist poking through pixels. Other champions of scientific integrity are keeping researchers and science journals on their toes. This is awesome. In a January 2nd blog post, Shalto David presented suspicious images from more than 30 published papers at four Dana-Farber scientists are by four Dana-Farber scientists, including CEO Lori Glimcher and COO William Hahn. Okay. I don't know what just happened. The music stopped, probably because it detected me being annoyed by it. <laughs> Uh-oh, the music's <clears throat> getting sentient. <laughs> you didn't do that, did you? Not as far as I know. Huh, weird. So uh, the blog post included problems spotted by David and other previously exposed by sleuths on PubPeer, a site that allows anonymous comments on scientific papers. Student journalists at the Harvard Crimson covered the story on January 12th, followed by reports in other news media, sharpening the attention. So how did they, how did Dana Farber respond? Uh, they said that they had already been looking into some of the problems before the blog post. The institution said it was in the process of requesting six retractions and that another 31 papers warranted corrections. <clears throat> retractions I mean, are serious. It's like a high number. I have no doubt they publish a lot, but mm -hmm. that's concerning. Yeah. Um, because usually it's like publish or perish and it's reputational um, and it's, um, matriculation. So you go through ranks uh, of a position based on how much you publish and how much, um, how much attention is you garner right from this. Um, exactly. Um, am I mistaken? Didn't we publish, didn't we publish, didn't we feature an article recently about somebody from the same Institute? Oh goodness. I'm or am sure. I getting a mixed up? Uh, it was like a researcher who was complaining about something about the institution. And I think they'd been fired, but maybe I'm getting my institutions mixed up. Mm, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I'd have to look. California microbiologist Elizabeth Bick, 57, has been sleuthing for a decade. Based on her work, scientific journals have retracted 1,133 articles, corrected one, another thousand, and printed... Um, 153 expressions of concern, according to a spreadsheet where she tracks what happens after she reports problems. She's found doctored images of bacteria, cell cultures, Western blots, a lab technique for detecting proteins. <clears throat> she uh, published an analysis in the American Society for Microbiology in 2016 of more than 20,000 peer-reviewed papers. Nearly 4% had image problems. About half were the manipulation seemed intentional. I think it's dangerous. Um, Big's work brings donations from Patreon subscribers of about $2,300 a month and occasional honoraria from speaking engagements. Yeah. Interesting. 
Uh, and David's has picked up to $216 per month. So good on him. Yeah. So what motivates... I think this is really good, provided that they are certain about what they are publishing, because we know there's a lot of false information about uh, medicine and science in general. Yeah. And I don't think that these folks are the ones that are where the uh, there's bias. They're doing it right, to right. increase the integrity of research. Um, there are good. people that are that have bias. And when they when a scientist publishes something that comes across as having bias, other scientists really do lean into that. And so usually in the scientific community, it gets kind of shunned um but why are people taking this risk so some images are obviously altered with sections duplicated um, or rotated or flipped scientists building their careers or seeking tenure face pressure to get published which is what i just got done talking about some may intentionally falsify data knowing that the process of peer review when the journal sends a manuscript to experts for comments is unlikely to catch fakery um, I've talked to a few people that do peer review. I review, uh, journal articles that are post published. So a peer review actually takes place before it gets published fully. Um, and, um, I, the, the people that I've spoken to have a technique. Um, and so if you are reading a bunch of these papers, um, you may blur through this really fast. You just skim it to see if there's any, you know, you read the abstract, you read the conclusions, you go back and read interesting notes. Um, it's my understanding is that people don't really read the experimental process. They just read the results and conclusions. Um, and so you don't necessarily even look at the pictures because you're looking at the data. Um, but th these folks are actually looking at the images and therein lies the, a picture's worth a thousand words. Um, and ta-da, obviously it is, <laughs> um, again, demonstrable that people are manipulating these images. Um, okay. So let's keep on going. I think we need to. Uh, put this one in the VOD. Sorry about that, folks. That one was late, too. And let's go on to the next article. Uh, the next article is over in Hatch Ideas. When Louis Vuitton tries to make you change your brand name, experts say there's been a huge rise in people defending their trademark bids in recent years. Um, this article is by Lawrence Colley and Sally Beadle over at BBC News or BBC.com um, specifically. And um, here is Lawrence and Victoria Osborne that spent uh, 15,000 pounds on legal fees fighting a trademark dispute. I don't think that's the trademark dispute. I think that's their child. Uh, bespoke. Oh, okay. Well, a small garden supply business called LV Bespoke recently won its fight to keep its name against the French luxury fashion house, Louis Vuitton. Are you telling me that because they have LV? Well, Bespoke actually exists as a separate business. I don't think it's the same thing. I'm waiting for them to get sued by them now. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. 
Um, so before COVID-19 pandemic, uh, Victoria Osborne ran a holiday letting business and her husband, Lawrence, worked in construction. So there's your L and V bespoke, right? So Lawrence is the L, Victoria is the V, and bespoke is whatever holiday letting business they had, the, you know, the embodiment of it. When the pandemic arrived, both of their incomes were wiped out literally overnight. Amid what she describes as mad panic, the couple who were renovating their home in Reapham near Norwich... <laughs> Have pizza delivered there. So where are you? Uh, we're in Reapham near Norwich. Um, and began growing their own food while former boat builder Mr. Osborne tried his hand at making metal plant supports. Wow. Supports turned out well, so well, in fact, that the couple wondered if others would be willing to pay for them. And they were. So the business grew. The couple named the business using their own initials. The LV Bespoke was born. Uh, for crying out loud, if I can suss it out as being their freaking names, what asshat at Louis Vuitton is like, hey, let me sue these two innocent bystanders trying to make a living. Exactly. You should not be able to trademark two letters. Right? Because that's the implication here so far. It was ludicrous to think that they had the rights to the letters L and V, and there was no comparison to be made between their goods. And just so that everybody knows out there, the way that trademark works is there are a lot. Well, and it really depends on the country, but I think um, Europe and UK British law is the same along with US. There are little slices in which a trademark is housed. And if you are a luxury good producer, it doesn't give you a blanket over no, it doesn't everything. have anything to do with like movie theaters or something. Right. So there is no mistaking that these little metal braces that the person is building is going to run afoul of a Louis Vuitton luxury good, uh, whatever handbag or shoe or shirt or whatever the hell. Oh, so asinine. They, they sought uh, legal advice almost immediately and decided to stick to their guns. IPO tribunal judge Matthew Williams found in the couple's favor, deciding Louis Vuitton's opposition had failed on all grounds. That's right. He said Osborne's logo contained the same two letters in the same order, followed by the word bespoke. It also contains some slight figurative decoration. Conceptually, we say that they there is essentially identity or very high similarity because both signs refer to a brand LV. No. Okay, that's ridiculous. Are we going to suddenly start calling every brand by its initials? I think right. that relates to something you said earlier. But yeah, it's impossible. So stupid. So we say uh, this points to the, the average consumer seeing these conceptually as a brand on sub brand. The and the shared concept being a brand called LV. No. Nobody sees LV and a, a couple of metal widgets and goes, hey, hey that's must be no. Louis Vuitton. An LV on a purse, maybe. Yeah. Handbag, but. And no, not even then. I mean, usually Louis Vuitton has a pattern. It has something that that's is right. the embodiment. I think it does. Um, so I, I just don't buy into it. Um, 
Melanie Harvey, a legal director at Burkitt's LLP and a chartered trademark attorney, says Osborne's case is far from unique. She says in the past 18 months, there's been a huge rise, big firms seeking to protect their trademarks. She says clothing businesses, champagne makers, high-end brands are particularly busy protecting their identities at the moment. I can understand that if somebody is chasing clout, trying to steal the goodwill and efforts of a business, but just going after somebody that has LV in their name, and it isn't confusingly similar as in the mark, and it isn't confusingly similar in the product and their use of LV bespoke. Let's yeah, solve it this way. I had to look way. up their pattern because I couldn't remember what it was. Um, it's an L overlapping a V, but it's typically with other uh, symbols as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so just having the letters is not good enough. It's that mark. I know this from experience because I've run across this and I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> uh, I get, and, and I don't want to make my mark too narrow, um, because then anybody can just kind of slide into something that I'm going to be you know, my particular brand of business is not bound by a very specific niche. So anyway, I, I think that it's just kind of an asshat kind of thing to do going after somebody because you have the same initials that the, the trademark isn't the same and just two random letters shouldn't be able to be protected. Um, your embodiment of the mark can be protected, but not everything saying LV, just two letters. Anyway, enough. Let's keep going. The last article is over in Smack Talk because, well, it has to do with just computer chips in general, but our source is Apple Insider. Massive $53 billion U.S. chip fund grant announcements expected within weeks. Yeah, there's that. Chips Act of 2022 is starting to get spent. I think it's actually going to get funded. Yep, $53 billion. Um, I call this repatriate sourcing. It's basically pulling semiconductor production in-house back into the United States instead of leaning into external companies, except that TSMC is going to be one of these factories built in the United States, giving U.S. jobs, but it's going to be run by TSMC. Um, the Chips for America Fund, also known as the Chip CHIPS Act, was approved in 2022 as a way to build up the U.S. semiconductor industry uh, via the issuing of grants and loans to companies in the space. Over a year later, funds may finally get awarded, but who knows? Termination for cause could be actually, even if it is granted, some budget problem could cause them to just kill it. And But that really is a, a problem with it's got the perceived integrity of the government is going to fall afoul if they try and terminate stuff. Um, that people start ramping up, you know, to get grant money. Um, so Malcolm Owen over at appleinsider.com put the article together. Industry executives knowledgeable about the negotiations ha believe some announcements could arrive before the March 7th State of the Union address in a move designed to show off President Biden's economic achievements ahead of the main presidential race. I, I think that it's great. We lean on external resources for some of our chips um, to, I think, a fault. Um, and uh, if anything happens in the region, we won't have any chip production. 
I think it'll be more expensive domestically. Quality may not be, uh, quality will be, quality may not be higher, um, but it will be at least on par. Um, but at that quality level, it's going to be more expensive. That's just the way it is. So it's going to be government subsidies that are going to knock down the retail price. Um, of the 53 billion, 39 billion is set aside for manufacturing grants that cover up to 15% of the total cost of a project, up to $3 billion per fab loans, loan guarantees, and tax credits also form part of the funding package. Only 15% of the total cost of a project. Why would anybody do that when they have strategic advantage already? Does it matter? Right. And then they're going to be subject to certain conditions. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's interesting. It says um, they believe over 170 companies have applied. So, yeah, I don't know. In this infusion That's of That's a tax. lot of companies, right? Like, we don't know that many companies that are in the chip space. No, 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 no. Um, but if Apple can bring its stuff in-house, who knows? Um, it, their, uh, Apple's products are pretty much... Uh, certain aspects of it is a, 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 a really just a basic cost nowadays, but... It's a luxury product beyond maybe the basic iPhone and the basic um, iPad. Computers are $2,000, $2,500, $3,000 or more dollars. I think the average is like $3,500 for an Apple uh, computer. Although, you know, these little Mac minis and stuff, um, this is actually a Mac Studio, but a Mac mini is only like $500 right now, but it has zero upgradability. You're done. You just have to do external stuff. Anyway, there's all kinds of constraints. Um, but bringing the chip manufacturing stuff in-house means that it's defensible uh, from outside onslaughts. The only problem here is the reason why it's cheaper in other countries is because they don't have all of the environmental checks and balances that are taking place actively in the United States. And Golly, um, can't imagine why we have all of these checks and balances for health and safety. Mm. Maybe it's because business abuses until they get caught and they have children working in industrial uh, workplaces on school nights or at all. I know. I'm and meatpacking. I'm silly and stamping doors for Hyundai. Maybe they don't do that anymore. Oh, well, they stopped getting caught so far. All right. Well, anyway, everybody pile back into the party bus. We're going to go back downtown and uh, look to your left, look to your right, because there's all kinds of uh, articles and whatever else uh, here in hometown.com. Go and check it out. I really wonder why my music stopped, because I don't think I did anything. I mean, the pause button is still on pause. Like, yeah, it just failed to play. Weird, man. Let's try this again. Hey, AI, don't try to drag me back into the show. <laughs> I don't know why we would want to do that. We're we're making this sausage live. Live. I'm doing it live. Anyway, we're done for hometown daily. And um, in about 15, 20 minutes, uh, we're going to have 
what show would it be called? That would be Continuity Report. And what do we talk about? Movies, TV, streaming. Hey, I guess it's a cool thing that we named it Continuity Report because that's where you always find the continuity issues. So we'll see you in about 15 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes. Be sure to follow us here on twitch and and uh, subscribe over on youtube and then download the podcast and leave a five-star review i'll quote you uh, on the show uh, we have a discord we have a patreon i haven't rebranded the patreon it's still um, with the old orange letters not the cool blue you know because we like to chill here in hometown uh, the only one that gets a little uppity is marijuana so anyway we're done we'll see you in a little bit I'm Mirwat. That's hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI from the future. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern for the hometown daily. But stay tuned uh, shortly for continuity report tonight. Bye bye. Boop.